It's Friday the 4th of November. This is the Climate Alarm Clock. This week's headlines, COP27 starting next week, Lula gets elected in Brazil, profits at the world's seven biggest oil firms soar to almost 150 billion this year, and renewed focus on importing LNG in Ireland. Hello and welcome to the Climate Alarm Clock, your weekly Irish climate news podcast. I'm Dara Wynn. COP is just days away now and we'll be discussing the latest news around that and a few more climate stories. And to discuss these stories with me, I'm joined by Anna Pringle and once again by Cara Carney. Anna, how are you keeping? Hello, Dara. I'm keeping very well. I'm happy to be in the hills of Donegal this week, so enjoying some autumn weather here. Uh, very good. And uh, Cara, how are you? Hi, thank you for having me back. I'm good. I've got a belly full of porridge and raring to <laughs> go and learn how uh, Dara and Anna are saving the planet. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. We uh, wish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, if only, if only. Um, so we're going to start, I think, with COP. So COP27, the big global climate summit, annual climate summit, is starting next Monday, the 7th of November. Um, so we've all the latest updates on that. And last week, our not climate story was about Rishi Sunak. And we were tentatively cautious that he might improve things a little bit because he had reinstated the fracking ban in the UK. And I think before we had put out our episode last week, he had announced that he wasn't attending COP27. But uh, since then, public pressure has mounted and he has done a complete U-turn and will be attending. So um, I don't know if that's a good news story or, or bad. I don't Whoop-de-doo. know if that's good news or bad news. Dara, I am so sick of hearing about the Tories and will they, won't they, and what are they up to? And between Matt Hancock going to Celebrity, whatever it was, get me out of here, and Rishi going to COP27, I'd say they're both equally important for the climate. <laughs> God. That made me start to start on a cynical <laughs> note. Yeah. And um, I think, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say how much he actually cares at all because um, he, he, you know, I think the fracking thing, I don't, was, was more political perhaps because that's what the whole thing like fell apart over. And then he says, I'm not going to cop. And people are like, who, who, what are you about? And he's like, obviously, he just wants to stay in power like most, you know, people do. They want to get there and stay in. So. I mean, maybe on the bright side, um, if he'll react to people being like, you should go to COP. <laughs> people are like, you should have some climate action. He might go, oh, OK, <laughs> will you guys vote me in then? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's that's fair. Um, and then so uh, Ugandan climate activist Vanessa Nakate was sort of calling on him. She took out some uh, full page adverts or had some big coverage of a call for her for him to show leadership on international climate finance so that's going to be a huge issue at cop this year um that there have been loads and loads of promises of pledges from uh rich countries to provide climate finance for uh countries that have been affected by climate change so there's been promises for money for adaptation there's talk of a loss and damage fund and so far um rich countries are really failing to to deliver this funding. And, and this year we're seeing real need for it. I mean, there was always real need, but you're seeing it in Pakistan, you're seeing it in the Horn of Africa, the absolute need that poorer countries have mm. for help with this. So, and it's not being delivered the way it was committed to. 
Yeah, yeah. And so, like, there's a couple of strands to it. There's there's adaptation finance, which is, you know, providing countries with money to be able to develop infrastructure so that they can better cope with impacts. And now there's also the need for this loss and damage for the countries that have actually already been impacted. Um, and what we're actually seeing is that a lot of the money that should be given just, you know, unconditionally is actually being given in the form of loans that these countries are then having to pay back with interest rates so it's actually compounding what? the problem yeah yeah what yeah and so whose just... mind was that a good idea or in any way okay in, like in oh. the lender's mind only Cara. so are they technically loaning us all of the resources we're mining their countries for and extracting from them is that the same thing because that's how it should work <laughs> then in my brain yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah. Yeah. So that's exactly that's exactly the the issue. And yeah. So it's there's a hundred billion a hundred billion a year that still hasn't been hasn't been delivered on. Um, and yeah. And then along the lines of climate finance as well, we've seen that the the US um, had sort of promised that they were going to reduce or increase their uh, overseas finance of renewable projects but actually it's just more of the same and most of their funding is now going into fossil fuel infrastructure in africa so um yeah so it's very much going in the wrong direction still yeah if i I'm had a euro shake, every shaking time. my head yeah yeah it is oh my gosh yeah yep 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 New, but then in a way it's like is it news <laughs> does it count as news if it's the same thing again and again and again but yeah. yeah but yeah but that is i mean that is the only meaningful thing from cop <laughs> i think is that these stories come up and you know it, yeah. they're issues every day of every week of every year but at least this gives us an, a chance to talk about it um but and we saw on that along those lines, um, the environment minister from Gabon, which is a smaller country in Africa, and they sixty percent of their economy is dependent on oil revenues, but they want to move away from that. But they're saying, look, we need this financing to help us do that. Okay. But he came out quite controversially and said that um, his name is Lee White, and he said that it's a horrible thing to say, but until more people in developed nations are dying because of the climate crisis, it's not going to change. So what do you think of that, guys? Um, I so I I mean I I'm delighted he said it, um, and he's really a really strong voice for you know for climate action in Africa and Gabon is amazing when it comes to uh, rainforest protection in particular. Um, yeah. But I have to say I disagree with him. I don't think I think I think we hear this story of all oh, you know people aren't going to take action until they're affected themselves. But we've seen crazy flooding in Germany for a couple of years. We see crazy fires in California every year. We saw, we saw hundreds dying in Florida in the hurricane. And the extreme weather in Canada. And yeah. people just, if they are affected, then they're not thinking long-term about the climate crisis. They're thinking about their immediate food and shelter needs. Um and then, like with the forest fires in Canada, people just get used, or in California, sorry, people just get used to it, and it becomes their new normal. So, but um, but I also think, yeah, but I also think that in Western developed nations, he's underestimating how much governments are willing to let people die. I mean, just look mm -hmm. at the look at the COVID crisis. Look at how many people are dying of COVID still, and governments don't want to take action on that. 
Um, so I think he's I think he's underestimating or, or over maybe overestimating. I can see his point that I can see that absolutely Western countries, you know, are it, it is you know, because it's happening far away, we're not reacting that much. But I also, like, at first I was like, Dara, what? You disagree? But I totally get your point as well, because if um, even when it does happen, we're so slow to react. And what we actually care more about is the economy than lives, you know? Like, exactly. so many things were, were brought, so many, you know, restrictions were lifted during COVID for the economy rather than health. And, like, I understand both, but, like, the businesses and the people that were out, like, screaming, going, we, we need support. It's only because we're all all stuck in the system is of if you don't earn your your risk of he- housing and and food um mm. goes out the window and a livelihood so yeah i think it's it's the when you when the economy is threatened that's when people um have uh western countries i think have a reaction as opposed to actual lives yeah 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 and then lastly on cop one person who won't be attending is is greta thunberg uh so she said it's just a big greenwashing exercise uh for people in power to get attention um that the the conferences aren't intended to change the whole system so what's the point um and what she said then actually was the cops are not really working unless of course we use them as an opportunity to mobilize which that's actually something i said on the climate alarm clock last week so maybe (gasps) uh, you did so maybe um maybe greta was was listening in yeah yeah um, but she might have been Dara um, and she's also saying another thing that you've kept been saying too which is that we need to keep taking action and there's a little clip from her here talking about how she and her generation are not going anywhere they're not giving up and they're going to keep working on this great so let's have a listen the people in power have proved that they they are not going to be the ones leading this change not without massive public pressure from the outside and we have to be that pressure. We are never going back to their normal again because the climate crisis is a ticking clock that is rapidly approaching the countdown's end. It is our destiny. It is not the story we wished for. It is not the story we wanted. But we do still have the possibility to avoid the worst consequences, to avert a climate disaster and to create a just future for all not just for the financially few fortunate who still believe that they can buy their way out of dying ecosystems and mass extinctions. Slowly we are seeing the level of awareness increasing, but we need to rapidly speed up the process. Some people are taking action. Around the world, for example, activists, scientists, indigenous peoples and those on the front lines are raising their voices, but we need to be many more. I'm convinced that when we are enough people who push for change, then change will come. And we will never give up. We will never stop fighting for the living world. And it will never be too late to save as much as we can possibly save. About a month ago, on the global climate strike, hundreds of thousands of people climate striked across the planet. We are still here, and we are not planning on going anywhere. Young people all over the world are stepping up and showing that our leaders messed with the wrong generation. Thank you. Don't hey, mess Greta. with Greta. <laughs> yes. uh, yeah, powerful, powerful stuff there from Greta. Yeah, yeah, uh, really. We're very lucky to have her. I think mm. it's really interesting how she put it that this wasn't the story that we chose. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, and but it is the story and we need to be working on the ending, improving the ending of it. Yeah. And I think being frank about the fact that, you know, things are going to get bad and we just need to stop them getting really, really, really bad. Um it's nice to hear that, you know, th- there's there's a realism to what she says. There's hope and realism together, which you sometimes only get one or the other, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. when it comes to climate, yeah. So don't mess with Greta. That's what I took from that. <laughs> no, or you'll have to go through me. <laughs> <laughs> That's what your generation, Cara, right? Well, you're a bit older than I'm Greta. I'm a bit older. I'm 29, um, so probably 10 years older than her. Like, I definitely felt the same way she did about the environment, but didn't realise I had any power. Do you know, like, I remember being 12 and making a, a, a PowerPoint slideshow, putting days and days into it to show my parents and then like about how the destruction of the environment and then uh, I couldn't even sit in the room after <laughs> I was like this is happening and I was really embarrassed about it so I sat out of the room and then afterwards I was like okay and they were like yeah uh, well done my dad was a bit shook I think but he was like um you spelled recycling wrong <laughs> <laughs> that was the only thing so wow. while I I can I really like I love I do love Greta and I just love the fact that she um, was brave enough to kind of just go against the status quo and that's what a lot of us need to do you know like um, the systems and the way that it is isn't the way it has to be and even if you know I whatever career or whatever it is that you want to do we're all going to have to weave climate action into that you, it, does, it, does, it doesn't mean you know living a life of misery and, and nothing you can weave lovely climate action into whatever job or what your day-to-day life and i think that's how we need to start framing it like because we do need as many people as possible yeah Yeah. absolutely and that's i'm really important to think it's not necessarily a hardship to have to be able to you know experience the environment and you know we need to be thinking about it positively that's the story we need to be telling that it's a positive story not a negative story even though we do get like negative nancy's here in this little echo chamber (laughs) newsroom sometimes so absolutely we all feel that we we do all feel and act with a lot of hope a lot of the time um yeah yeah yeah, you wouldn't be you wouldn't you wouldn't be doing this kind of stuff we wouldn't be doing a podcast every week if we weren't getting something out of it and and it's important to be able to look at the negative news and talk about the negative news and still be positive you know like Mm. like rather than just pretend it's it's not happening one bit of really positive news is the fact that lula has gotten elected in brazil Um, thank god it was close Bolsonaro didn't win a second term yeah it was so close <laughs> it was ridiculously close um, but I think that's a it's definitely a win for the planet I think definitely oh, it definitely the back is of that guy. well hopefully we see the back of them we never know we might come back again but yeah well I'm del- well, so happy while he yeah, was there yeah and but it's January I think before he takes over so um, hopefully that all goes smoothly um, but yeah, thank goodness that was nail biting at the end, um, and it's so important for for a lot of things. Yeah, yeah, I was, I mean, yeah, as you say, for a lot of things, for for human rights, there, for getting people out of poverty, from a climate perspective or a nature perspective. Obviously, the focus is very much on uh, the Amazon and stopping deforestation. And I saw an unbelievable graph of, from Carbon Brief of the last time Lulu was in power and how much deforestation came down. Um, oh, really? And then it started going back up 
in in Bolsonaro's time, but still wasn't as high as when Lula first got into power. So there's now sort of predictions that deforestation can fall by 90% by 2030. Delicious. Let's um, absorb that statistic. Yeah. That yes. hopeful statistic yeah. into our very bones and just imagine <laughs> that, that. That would be amazing. Yeah. yeah so, I mean, yeah. I, the thing for me is when you hear deforestation is fall, like is being reduced, it means deforestation is still happening. <laughs> you know, but I think there. it sounds like there are plans afoot to to re-establish forests in, in places. Um, mm. Norway had a partnership, a funding partnership, uh, the last time Lula was in power, and that's been re-established. And it sounds like it's a big sort of international effort that uh, when he was last in power, India and China helped to provide some of the technology for them to, like the satellite technology for them to observe and and assess what was going on. So, um, yeah, so it is a real a real positive. Fingers, fingers crossed he sort of gets gets people on board and um yeah and can save a lot of so 25 percent of the lands to, of the world's terrestrial biodiversity is in the amazon rainforest so wow um, i mean the amazon is so important yeah. for all of us mm. um that's amazing and here in ireland we had a positive announcement this week as well about forests um we're not known for protecting our forests um, we've let them all go, really. Um, but we just announced a new forestry scheme that I think is quite positive. So there's going to be um, 1.3 billion euros put into a new forestry program, which will see payments to farmers for planting trees. And it'll increase the payments, but also, as well as increasing payments, it'll be focused very much on native trees. So not your Sitka monoculture plantations, Um so I think that's quite positive. Definitely. And yeah. they get grants for this. Like, do, it, does it equate to what, because I know a lot of farmers, I didn't actually hear this until you brought it up. I know a lot of farmers do want to rewild their land, but even rewilding versus the cat, the cattle or the, the dairy that they want to make, it like still works out more. So often the, they often don't. Um, but... Yeah, yes. I don't know how it compares to having sheep or cows, yeah. but they can get grants of €28,000 if they plant one hectare of native forest, and that's spread over 20 years. So they've increased the length of time for the grant as well as the amount of the grant. And then the other part that's quite exciting is they've put in a, a part where if you have forest emerging on your land, like basically rewilding, like you said, you can actually get a grant to protect that as well. So it's allowing for farmers to keep farming but also have part of their land set aside for mm. natural restoration or for or not native forests yeah yeah so, so it is positive. it is it is positive for sure yeah um Definitely. it just yeah it just just gives another option i think you know for people who are maybe on the fence uh hopefully this is the added incentive to you know to even plant uh, a small bit of their land um yeah and we need it when I walk around here and I see the war against trees, we definitely need to be protecting them and protecting our hedgerows. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And it's so lovely, you know, when you have a little woodland nearby, it's 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 such an amazing thing to be able to go and uh, and experience. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, th I thought it was a positive one anyway, so yeah, it's good to is. have some good Absolutely. news. <laughs> 
Um, and you've more good news as well, Anna. Is that right? About oh, big profits? well, if you're a shareholder in an oil firm or a senior executive in an oil firm, you've got great news because I think, as you said in the headlines, Dara, profits at the world's seven biggest oil firms have soared to almost £150 billion this year. Just How? this year so far. This year. They have soared. So how? Because, you know, you know the way we're all paying an awful lot more for oil and gas and petrol. And you know the way um, the Ukraine war has caused a supply shock. Well, guess what? These firms are making out like bandits. So obviously, right, because I just presume, right, I just presume the corporation people are nice people. I know (laughs) I'm wrong. So obviously... There's this issue then. Okay, so the war in Ukraine, which is absolutely terrible and so many different counts, but obviously has reduced the amount of oil available. And now everyone, it's like what happened with masks as a start of COVID, like instead of just giving them, and then instead of just keeping it the same price, these remaining companies are like, well, now we can make an absolute, God, I hate people. <laughs> I hate those well, people, sorry. Well, yeah, but I mean, it's, yeah, the price increases. So, you know, the the reason that inflation has gone up, somebody's making money out of it. And now you're looking at, yeah, okay, who's making money out of it? The major oil companies. And by the way, they're also the same companies that have lied to us for decades about the effects of fossil fuel mm. usage. So and told us that recycling was the, was the, was the fix-all. Problem. Correct. Yeah. And that we had to look after our own personal footprints. So it's, I mean, it is theft and it's criminal damage is what they're doing. Um, yeah, that's, it just boggles the mind. And now in saying that, a lot of CEOs, um, do you ever look at the study that a lot of CEOs are actually sociopaths? Um, <laughs> like there's like these studies out there. So, you know, a lot of the time people in these positions of power just don't have that kind of empathy like this is equivalent of like the scandal of the re- the recession being caused by banks and banks being bailed out like this is how is this legal <laughs> <laughs> well no it's what they do they're, I mean, they're, they're, do- they're doing their jobs their job is to maximise profits to maximise revenues and they're doing their jobs they're all so- dragons sitting on a big pile of gold and then we're getting mad at like refugees coming into the country yeah um, and you know our local shopkeeper or whatever for the price of everything going up and it's no it's just we all just need to unite together and kick these guys off their big piles of gold <laughs> that's my suggestion how to do that I'm not entirely sure go Cara I think Greta would agree with you mm. well if she listens to this podcast like we've alluded to <laughs> Greta get in touch um, I think we could be friends <laughs> Um, so Anna, running alongside that big announcement then, there's been some developments in relation to, to gas in Ireland. Yeah, so I mean, so like none of those firms are in Ireland, fine. But we know um, very clearly here that we have to phase out of using gas. We have to phase out of using peat, coal and oil to meet our, our climate plans. Um, but meanwhile, Gas Networks Ireland, which by the way is owned by the state, is forecasting a 15% growth in gas demand between 2021 and 2030. Annual growth, 15% more per year. Um, And then we're starting to see lobbying from fossil fuel companies who want to set up LNG terminals here. So they're saying, we need gas as a transition fuel. We need to have... And, you know, 
there's an, we'll just do floating LNG terminals because that's not as much infrastructure, um, even though it is quite a bit of infrastructure. Um, so you're starting to see that, and they're lobbying behind the scenes and parts of our government, like Gas Networks Ireland forecasting growth, Cork Port Company, again owned by the government, is talking to a Texas firm about setting up a floating LNG terminal in Cork Harbour. We have the lovely name Predator Oil and Gas. I mean, at least they're honest in their naming. <laughs> Predator Oil and Gas want to set up an LNG terminal 50 kilometres off the Cork coast, close to the Kinsale pipeline to bring in LNG. Um, and you're, yeah, it's like, no, we don't need, we don't need to do that. We don't need to add that new gas infrastructure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely not. And so then running sort of like in a parallel universe at the same time was uh, research funded by Enterprise Ireland found that if we really invest in wind, there, it could generate 400 million annually to the Atlantic region economy and 5,000 jobs directly from the offshore wind sector. So think of all the knock-on jobs that there would be from those 5,000 people then being employed. So yeah, it's amazing that these two conversations and these two <laughs> developments are just happening you know in complete silos um it just doesn't seem to join up does it not at it's all it's like i'm in a dream i'm in a salvador dali painting <laughs> and there's nothing around me makes sense anymore yeah it's you're wild. exactly right yeah it's all just it's all just disconnected and this is all just different arms of the irish state that are looking at all of this you know so um and and we're being really slow to ramp up our wind um resources and like i mean i'm you know here near Killybegs, which is a fishing port the jobs that could come in here to support the wind industry the potential is huge and offshore wind is not intermittent the way onshore wind is or it's less intermittent so you wouldn't even need as much gas as well you know so we need to be just getting on this yeah getting going yeah for sure um, and I think, you know, I think people in Ireland are generally in favour of this, uh, it, it, of this transition. And where we're really seeing that is the huge demand for people installing solar in their own homes. So yeah. um, the number of ap monthly applications has nearly doubled from this year compared to last year. Um, so from 6,700 monthly applications to between 13 and 14,000 this year. So... That's great. Um, yeah, so it is... Yeah, it's one knock-on effect of this cost-of-living crisis is that the people who now can afford to put in solar are doing it and it mm. it's much more affordable um, or the payback is much quicker because electricity is so expensive at the moment. So I think it would, so I think it would take about eight years for it to be paid back. Um, so that's, and there's good grants available, but, yeah. but I think they need, <coughs> I think they need to do more because the, the key phrase you use there is the people who can afford it. Absolutely. And I really think it needs to be people need to be able to put in solar panels without having to put up the upfront cost. You know, maybe do loans or something. I think the credit unions should be all over this. Yeah. Yeah. And facilitating but, it. But also the like but the government the government should be as well. Like there is this you know, they've brought in this six hundred euro energy credit for every household. Um yeah. a reduction of everyone's bills which is just a really, like, it's populist and it's just so crude. Basically, like, why are these oil companies that you talked about making money? It's, well, they're getting a massive subsidy from our government, whereas why can't the government get that money and target it to the people who need it and fund 
and fund solar for them. Yeah. Yeah, with different priorities, they could take people out of energy poverty by funding solar for them. Um, well, yeah, but all of those... Sorry, go ahead, Cara. Oh, I was just going to say, I'd also love to see uh, encouraging landlords to do the same, yes. you know, because like yep. as someone in a rented house, now I'm going to be in a rented room for a long time, as there are a lot of people, you know, but a lot of us are afraid of asking the landlord for too much in case they decide to kick us out for whatever reason or whatever you know so I think obviously well the landlord they're just happy that their mortgage is being covered they're not they don't have to cover the bills yeah and in fairness my landlord is hoping to get the attic insulated soon but like we have an immersion shower the bane of my life we are living in the 80s um <laughs> so I was like could we get like an electric shower and they were like you could just change your energy provider you'll save money that way I was like for the love of it so I'd love if there was just more pressure or, you know, incentives for landlords to do the same. Mm. You know, maybe they'll get breaks as well if their house, their houses have um, solar panels, etc. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, I mean, so yeah, we're seeing, so you know, seeing some good developments here, some good potential, but just not enough leadership from from government on, on this kind of stuff at the moment, I think. That sums it up quite well, Dara. Great. We'll move on to our not climate story then for this week. So before oh we go. Um, oh, our not climate story. And this is actually an example of someone in government um, or local government trying to take some leadership. And I would say it probably has backfired a little bit. Um, but the Green Lord Mayor of Dublin decided that the Living Crib, which has apparently a much-loved Dublin institution for decades, um, ha- that they should take the animals out of the Living Crib and do something different. I think she was proposing a winter wonderland or something for Christmas instead. So, like, that doesn't sound like it should be controversial, does it? No, nope. it doesn't. <laughs> Are you ready for my thoughts? <laughs> I suppose we should I suppose we should say what actually the living crib is. Oh yeah. So it's a crib for Christmas that has real animals in it, like real farm animals and usually it's outside the mansion house and kids queue up to see the animals and so on. But I think with COVID they put the animals behind glass or something, I don't know. Um but anyway, the Lord Mayor has decided that's probably not very pleasant for the animals to be stuck there with mm. people gawking at them for a month in December. Mm. Yeah. Now, they, they also... Right, okay. So, just to disclose for listeners, I am I grew up in the countryside in a council estate surrounded by farms and became vegetarian for the animals at a very young age. So, I just feel like people should know that I really care about stuff like this and I'm vegan, so they're probably like, oh, okay, that explains that. But... The it's just it is mad like you're saying the the controversy over this is a bit is wild and how people kind of jump on it then to again divide and conquer divide and con- conquer it's farmers versus people who care about animals or etc but like first off the mayor want, wanted to suggest like you said a winter wonderland she wanted there to be like a sleigh that people could climb into and like take photographs all in and there would be so much more things involved like choirs um and a post box that they could post Santa letters into you know it was kind of very well thought out um every year there was a cow a uh or a, or a donkey a goat and two lambs at in the crib but like pre-covid 
like they would be there for from 11 till 5 and then driven driven to and from I think Wicklow every single day for for a couple of weeks leading up or a couple like nine days maybe leading well, up I think to they just stayed there overnight no, no yeah so they actually tra- they actually transported them you know which is, and they get their veterinary checks and all that so from a from animal welfare as opposed to rights point of view they were like taking a lot of boxes and whatnot um but at the same time like I'm coming at this from w- our use and exploitation of animals on the land is one of the reasons why we're here today and our disconnect over how we're treating the environment and animals and like these are four sentient beings you're taking two lambs away from their mothers and if you have a cat or a dog with kittens or puppies at home you'll see that they get stressed out if they haven't got access to them the whole like they are petted every single day and every animal has a different like we've all come into contact with different dogs they have different personalities some of them love people a lot of them don't a lot of them don't love strangers and then we're just like allowing people and forcing screaming kids you know to be petting them or whatever and of course a lot of us love animals but at the same time these people go pet a pet a goat or a lamb and then go eat lamb for dinner that night you know it's just the disconnect is just very stark here and if like your man one of the Fine Gael counsellors was like you can't have Christmas without a, a crib um, you know or next you'll be telling me you can't have Christmas without a Christmas tree just because something is tradition doesn't make it right yeah, and anyway com- com- sorry completely. I could rant for hours <laughs> <laughs> no but I mean the, the, the thing that annoyed me about it was that it's not a. It should not have been a big story that got so much mm. coverage. But yeah. unfortunately, the fact that it was a Green Lord Mayor, it was a gift to the IFA and a gift to Fianna Fáil to say, "Oh, the Greens are cancelling Christmas." Yeah, you know, but and I- it's just and and the media ran with that. Yeah. They ran with the controversy over it. And then I, I saw that um, Mary Hannafin has offered to move the living crib to Dunleary County Council oh, for instead. For God's sake, no. Just guys, please, no living cribs. We don't need a living crib, okay? Oh, I would have thought there's a lot more vegans in Dunleary, so she she probably won't get away with that. I mean, yeah, well, there the likes of NARA, there's really good animal rights associa- associations out there like NARA um, who have been kind of on things like this. Like, it's not, like, it's just not fair. Like, Christmas is about be- being kind to everyone and that includes animals that you're going to put in the freezing cold away from their herd and stick them in a truck for an hour and a half every day like it's just it's that's not what cri- Christmas never... spirit is not about that um can I ask what this story has to do with climate change <laughs> have we covered well <laughs> I would say what it has to do with climate change is the our, our attitude the so there's two things going on it's the coverage over um over something it's it's like giving so much airtime to a topic right straight after when they're talking about how climate is such an issue right now and everyone's aware about it and also dividing using the dividing conquering tactic you know pitting farmers against animal rights or you know taking again here is people a green person trying to do something perhaps good for the environment and they're taking something enjoyable from us as opposed to giving us all these really cooler you know not um not controversial animal welfare things or whatever. And then also our disconnect over the way we're treating animals. And then we're going, you know, you want to go pet a, a donkey and then you're going to go to McDonald's after for burgers or whatever, which are and beef and, and lamb is actually the most environmentally damaging animal. Uh, 
meat that you can eat. So anyway, that, that's how I would Now tell us it. what you really think, Cara, though. Okay, <laughs> if anyone wants a, a different episode on this, I'll just make one on my own podcast. Okay? No, that's, that's uh, really, really, really great uh, linking to, to the big climate picture there, Cara. Thank you very much. Um, before we go, um, have we any actions that we can... I'd love to, I know I said last week about the, the COP um, march on the 11th of November. Um, more details have emerged and I don't know the time yet, but people will be marching from Trinity somewhere in Trinity to the doll not a very long march but we may go around more but the whole theme of it is time time is running out and clocks so we're asking people to bring clocks make a lot of noise alarm clocks with them oh excellent make... climate alarm clock march yeah oh my god guys get a banner get a climate alarm clock oh, banner oh yeah Bring yeah we'll, we'll pretend it's um, a promo for us that sounds yeah. great <laughs> so and then if you're making posters or banners just like a lot of a lot of clock themed pictures and stuff like that think Salvador Dali's melting clock I don't know whatever come dress as a clock Um, but the theme is time excellent great Um, so just the last the last one then is that we mentioned the biodiversity assembly last week um, and submitting to that the consultation is still open until the 9th of November for Ireland's National Biodiversity Action Plan so um, you can still so have your say. Still make a submission, even something just as brief as to say you want to see more rewilding or you want to see more native forests, something like that. Just something brief so that uh, you're another voice showing that you care about Ireland's biodiversity. Um, Very good. Yeah, really important. Great. Well, that is it for this week. If you do like our podcast, make sure to give it a review wherever you listen. Um, do share it with a friend. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Climate Alarm Clock and on Twitter at The Climate Alarm. That's it for this week. Anna and Cara, thanks so much for joining me. Thank thanks, you, guys. Dara. Thanks for having me and putting up with my rant. Um, yeah, oh, no, it's brilliant. Appreciate really, you guys. really great. Uh, we love really a good, good rant around here. <laughs> Um, and we'll speak to everyone next week okay bye bye, bye. bye.